0: Well, good morning everybody. Uh, as usual, if you've been here for some time, you know that the month of December launches everything Christmas, but as well as it launches something that we call year in giving." And again, if you've been here for quite some time, you know the drill on this. Essentially, um, nonprofits and churches, which are a part of nonprofits, have to have very generous Decembers. Typically, 25 percent of nonprofits' entire budget, their entire income for the year, comes in. In December so in one month 25% of the income comes in and so because of that December is always an important month for us uh, regarding giving and every year we set a goal um, that's above and beyond what would normally come in in a normal month. So we take what would come in in a normal month and then set a goal on top of that to sort of keep pace with the need for a large December. And so this year, the goal is $250,000 above what would normally come in in a month. And that's just not for the Gilroy Campus, that's the Hollister Campus and Iglesias Centro as well. So that's a church-wide goal. Now, let me speak uh, briefly to why this is um, a weighty matter. Uh, every year, year in giving is important, Like we said it. Churches rely on significant December's, but um, one of the things you need to be made aware of, which you probably sort of already feel it sort of intuitively, is that in the last 12 months the church uh, attendance has grown by 20 percent. So in one year, in the last 12 months, churchwide Gilroy and Hollister and Iglesia Central have increased attendance roughly 20 percent. So 20 percent growth in 12 months. It's pretty remarkable. <laughs> And so we feel the weight of that. That's like that's something to celebrate but it's also something that I want you to know that the staff is like the Lord is giving us responsibility. The Lord is giving you all responsibility. We are called to minister to one another to help all of our, all of us grow in the Lord and so there's a weight to that because um, that's 20 percent on top of like we've had tons of people move and stuff like that and so there's a lot of new faces here and so we want to Make sure you are known that we get to know you, that others get to know you, that we're discipling the church appropriately, but that's, that's, a, that's a weighty responsibility and task that God has entrusted us with. It. So we want to be as financially as prepared to deal with that growth as possible. Um, one of the other things that you'll probably be hearing more about in the future, I don't have any hard details uh, for you, but one of the things to keep up with growth is the likely adding of another service, um, likely looking at an evening, a Sunday evening service, but... Um, when details come, you'll hear about it, but I'm just letting you know that like, we're taking very serious this responsibility, um, and so we want to, to make sure we're honoring the Lord with what he's entrusting us with. So on that note, consider how you might help us uh, finish the year strong and reach our year-end goal. Uh, now, <clears throat> the theme for, for everything this month, for the month, for year-end giving, for the sermon series is What Child Is This? Now, in one sense, um, What Child Is This? is just a simple question from a Christmas song that we sing. But in another sense, this is like the question. It's similar to Jesus' question to the disciples in the Gospels when he says, who do you say that I am? Because how you answer this question determines everything. Like, Who was born in the manger? Who who was born that day? And how you answer will determine how you live, what you think about the future, how you will interact with family members, what you think about parenting, your coworkers, all of it. Like everything rests upon who exactly was that child. And so every week, what we're going to do is we're going to answer that question from a different angle. This week, we are going to say the child that was born was the great good shepherd of the people of God. Now, we have to do some unpacking because shepherds and shepherding has this long tradition in the scriptures. Uh, The patriarchs, like Abraham, they had flocks. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. The prophet Amos was a shepherd. But probably most importantly is God himself is a shepherd. Psalm 7720, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Here's another one, Psalm 78. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. We'll pause on this one for a moment because it's actually quite profound. It's really easy to skip over. Um, In the Exodus story, the people of Israel, it appears as if they're wandering around for 40 years. In fact, we refer to that time as the wilderness wanderings. And so in one sense, it's like, man, just wandering around, Your, your feet wander aimlessly. What are you doing out here in the desert? But when the psalmist looks back at that event in history, he doesn't use language of wandering. He says that even though it appeared as if your feet were wandering aimlessly in a wilderness, God himself, the shepherd, was leading you. And he was providing day by day for you. You are not alone. You are not wandering. You are being led. He guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Here's another one, Psalm 95. For, we, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Isaiah 40:11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Like, that's the type of shepherd we have in the Lord. There is, however, one chapter that is sort of like the quintessential God is shepherd passage. And it's one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. Some of you might already be thinking of it already Psalm 23. And so, what I want to do is just read you this short chapter and then go back through it verse by verse so we could see exactly what we mean when we say, like, the Lord is a shepherd. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And already we have to take some steps back because when, when modern people picture shepherding, we typically picture like a big open field. It's filled with green grass and maybe there's a wooden fence where a shepherd opens up the gate and all the little cute fluffy lambs, they come out and then they just throw down on this all-you-can-eat buffet of green grass. And when the day's over, they go back in knowing that tomorrow there's another full-on grass buffet. Now, That might be true in some regions, but Psalm 23 is written from the perspective of someone living in Israel. And you need to know that a lot of Israel looks like this. Like a lot of it. If you've been to Israel, you know a lot of it is like this. And so you're meant to picture something more like this, where sheep are led to certain areas where there might be some growth, some vegetation, some food. But they have to rely on the shepherd's voice and be taken from place to place, from location to location. Because if you just stay there, the little bit of food that's there is gone very shortly. And if you stay there thinking it's gonna be the buffet, you're not gonna make it. And so sheep have to listen to the voice of the shepherd and they go on paths. You could see at this point, like if you're, you're a little lamb, you're looking down that path and you're going like, there's nothing there. I don't see anything. But if the shepherd is wise and he's good, he knows where there's food. You may not see it, But he does, so you just have to trust. Or you happen to be in the front of the line in that bush in the bottom right. You snagged up and you're fine, man. All the other jealous sheep are mad at you. But you just have to trust. You don't know what's around there. And so you go from place to place looking for a little sustenance here, a little sustenance there. And maybe every so often you get to get to a green pasture like this. This would be like sheep heaven. Tons. But even that, you you would know that these animals would go through that fairly quickly. They can't just stay there. They'd have to find a new location, a new place. And so the idea, the principle is that you don't know and you don't worry about tomorrow. You follow the shepherd today, you listen to his voice. And if he's a good shepherd, he'll take you from place to place and you will get daily bread. This is a picture of someone who does it kind of today it, in Israel, but very much like how it was done 2,000 years ago. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He takes me to the green pastures. And when they're gone, I have to trust him. Now, this word uh, for want, I shall not want, Hebrew word aser, and it, it means mu- something more akin in this sense to lack. I will not lack anything. I shall not lack. And the reason why that's important is um, we're we're modern people and we live in a, we're just a consumerist culture. And so, you know, you could, it, it's very difficult for you to say, I, I shall not want. Because there's always something that you technically, like especially it's December, you're, you're people making Christmas lists. Like you, and there's never an, uh, uh, an end to things that you could want. Like back in the day, they, they didn't even have the possibility to want the things that you want. Like I want new headphones, new shoes, new car, new socks. What else? I don't know. Maybe I get some new. Here. Like you can just think of things. This is not. What, it's not saying you are not going to want anything. Although you probably should work on wanting less things, because we convince ourselves that some of our wants are needs, right? So you probably should work on that. But that's besides the point. The main focus of this section is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. You're not going to lack. There'll be times maybe where it's not abundant, but you just trust the shepherd daily to lead you from place to place. Follow his voice and you're not going to lack. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There'll be times where there'll be abundance. He leads me besides still waters. The word for still here, uh, menuhah, It means resting waters. So think of this as a place of rest. It's not merely um, like still, calm waters like that you can go play in. It's, It's an idea of the shepherd has brought you to a place where you can rest. You can find water and rest. Verse three, he restores my soul. Hebrew word soul here is nefesh. And think of your whole being. Nefesh is the living being. Sometimes when we hear the word soul, we can just think like in spiritual terms, like this is restoring the spiritual part of me. What the psalmist is saying is the living being, the nephesh, is being restored by the good shepherd. And he leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, all throughout the Bible, the scriptures declare that God does things for his namesake. And at first, um, that could be a little off-putting because if you reflect on it, you, you might think, wait, is God only doing stuff for his glory, for, for his namesake, and he really doesn't like care about me or love me down here, it's just all about him, so even his goodness is just for his glory, and I just happen to get thrown into the equation? Well, you, you have to understand this in the right context, because at first it sounds like bad news, but it's actually really good news. And here's the reason why. Because if God's goodness was contingent upon your behavior, if God's God's goodness given to you was contingent upon how cute and a fluffy little lamb you were on any particular day, you know that there's some days you're not the fluffy, nice, well-behaved, cute little lamb. Do you know what I mean? There's some days that are bad. What God is saying is not that he loves you. Of course the shepherd loves the He loves you But his goodness to you is not dependent upon something as fickle as your behavior in a given moment. He does something that's, he he bases it on that which is unchanging. Who he is, his character, for his namesake and for his glory. And so you have to see this as for his glory and for my good. But you just better hope that like God's goodness to you isn't dependent upon how awesome of a little lamb you are. He loves you, and he will do stuff for his name's sake and for your good. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This might be the most famous verse from one of the most famous chapters, the walk through the valley of the shadow of death. (coughs) Shadow of death here is the Hebrew word salmowet, and it means something like dark darkness or the deep darkest darkness or the darkness of all darkness. And so oftentimes it's translated as shadow of death because when you try to conceptualize the deep darkness, what is like the ultimate deep darkness? Death. That is the ultimate deep darkness. However, we can't only limit this to death because in life you will be put into situations that it may not be death, but it is deep darkness. It is the darkest dark. Do you know what I mean? Have you been there? Are you there right now? It's like this isn't death, but it is like unto death. You go into the deep darkness, the darkest of all dark. And what the scriptures declare here is that even if you go through the deep darkness, you shall not fear because he is with you. He is with you. Now, this is, this is incredible here because the Bible is actually presupposing that you will have times in your life where you will go through the deep darkness. It's not a promise that the problems don't come, the darkness is not real, or that it won't be that bad if you just trust in God. No, it's saying you may go through the darkest of dark, the deep darkness, the deep shadow, but in that moment, you will not fear because God is with you. Um, Picture a family, and the power goes out. And it's all dark, it's all pitch black, it's dark. And the dad tells the son, go get a flashlight. And the son says, nah. You get a flashlight in the garage is scary. And the dad says, Okay, I'll go with you. And he takes his hand. And the boy's able to do it, right? The scriptures are not they're not saying life is going to be great. It's presupposing there will be times of deep darkness. You will go into the deep shadow, but you will not be alone. The good shepherd will hold your hand. Now, it's interesting because Psalm 23 is sort of splitting up into three sections. In the first third, there's a focus on the Lord being a shepherd, and he's a shepherd all throughout the psalm. But in the second portion, the focus is on he is the person who is with you in the darkness. He's like the companion in the darkness. And on the third, the last third of the psalm, the focus will be on God being a host showing you hospitality. Now, what's important to note is that the centerpiece of Psalm 23, the heartbeat of it is, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Now, here's why. Oftentimes, the way in in the modern world we tell stories or write songs or or write poems, we have the climax of the poem or the story at the end. But in Hebrew, especially with poetry found in the Psalms, oftentimes the, the Psalm is constructed so that the center point, like the heartbeat, is in the center. It's not at the end, it's in the center. And so, in the center of Psalm 23 is this phrase, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is with you in the deep darkness, in the deep shadow. And there, it's his rod and his staff, and they comfort me. Now, this is an interesting exercise. Um, it reveals a lot about how you picture and conceive of God, and that reveals a lot about like, how you were raised, maybe your, your, your parents, your childhood. But the second, some, the second people think about God having a rod and staff, test yourself, you immediately, like, to begin to picture there's a God in heaven and he's angry and he's got a rod and he's looking down and he's waiting for you to blow it do you know what I mean some of you don't know what I'm talking about some of you know exactly what I mean you go like oh yeah that's exactly how I picture God he has a rod he's mad and the second I do something wrong he's taking me out that's not what the psalm is saying because what do the rod and the staff do they comfort they don't beat the sheep they comfort. So what are they for? The rod and the staff are first and foremost like walking sticks, but probably most importantly, they're weapons, they're tools that are used in defense against bandits, robbers, wolves, or predators. And so all kinds of shepherds in many different cultures have like a shepherd's stick and at the top the rod has this kind of giant circular piece and it opens up and it's like a giant wood knot because you could pick up the stick and then its head is big and you swing it as a defense. So it's to fight off the wolves and those who would harm the sheep. Now, it's also to, you know, nudge the sheep, push the sheep. If they get off the path of righteousness, you know, the Lord disciplines whom he loves. So he's doing that. But at the core of the message of Psalm 23 is not that there's a rod and staff that God uses and he's just waiting for the the dumb sheep to make a mistake. The rod and staff comfort the flock. They comfort the flock. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's an amazing image. Now God is a host. And in the ancient Near Eastern world, this type of hospitality, to bring someone in, is a very intimate activity. (coughs) God is bringing you in, and, and you have to picture it. You're at a feast, you're at a table, and your enemies are surrounding you. But you're not worried, you're not tripping. My enemies are around me, but my protector is here. I'm eating prime rib at his table, and I don't even have to worry about being encircled by enemies. This is a powerful image. And then he anoints your head with oil, something showing honor to the guest. Then he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I've underlined three words, and I want to look at them in Hebrew. Goodness, mercy, and follow. The first word goodness is just the Hebrew word tov. It's it's similar to how we use the word good. No explanation there. But mercy is a little interesting, because the Hebrew word for mercy here is chesed. And we've talked about this in the past, but chesed um, is very difficult to translate into English. And so depending upon, like, your Bible translation or how you heard Psalm 23 you probably heard something like surely goodness and mercy, surely goodness and kindness, surely goodness and loving kindness, surely goodness and steadfast love, because they're all trying to kind of communicate what this word chesed means. And the reason why it doesn't translate easily is because chesed is probably something like covenantal faithfulness. And if you're making a translation like If you translate something covenantal faithfulness, you're not helping anybody because everyone's just going to be like, okay, surely goodness and covenantal faithfulness will follow me. It's like, you're like, I'm not even sure if I want that to happen. I don't even know if that's a good thing. What is covenantal faithfulness? Okay. Uh, Picture a wedding ceremony and you're a witness and the groom is stating his vows to his bride and the vows are filled with things like what? Um, In the good times, in the bad the high, the low, the valley, the mountain, through sickness and in health, till death do us part. And what is happening there is that the, the, the groom, the husband, is covenanting himself to his bride. He is promising that I will be with you in the good and the bad, in sickness and in health. Now, that has nothing to do with necessarily if he loves his wife. It's independent of that. He's making a commitment to her. Now, he absolutely loves her, and he has the feelings of being in love. He has all of that. But independent of those feelings, he is making a commitment. And the reason why this is so important is feelings go up and down. There's good times and there's bad times. Like, if a marriage isn't doing well, it's like, well, this isn't having a bad day. You You don't throw in on the contract because you've pledged covenantal faithfulness. And so what God is saying all throughout the Scriptures is that He enters into covenant with His people, and yes, He loves them. Yes, the husband loves the bride, but on top of that, like above and beyond that, there is a commitment to stay faithful to the covenant. So God is saying goodness and His covenantal faithfulness will follow you all the days of your life. But it's more than that. Because the word follow here is the Hebrew word rodolph, and it's, it's much stronger than follow. This word fo- the word rodolph is used oftentimes to describe like a lion pursuing its prey. It's used in the Exodus story where Pharaoh changes his mind and goes after the people of Israel. So in one sense you could say, and then Pharaoh changed his mind and started to follow Israel. The lion followed its prey. Stronger than that. It's like a pursuing. As the lion pursues its prey, as Pharaoh pursued the Israelites, God's goodness and mercy, they are pursuing you like a lion pursues its prey. Do you follow this? It's not just like they're following behind you. No, like a lion stalking its prey, goodness and mercy are going to get you and it's based upon covenantal faithfulness for his namesake. It's not dependent upon your behavior in a specific manner. It's dependent, on some, dependent upon that which is unchanging, the very goodness of God himself. And because of that, we can say with confidence, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the ending of this matches the center. This is about being with God. In the Old Testament, to say you're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the main point of that is that you're going to be with God. God will be with you. God is revealing himself in the house, the tabernacle, the tent, and so to be there is to be with God. It's not saying like, and then I'm going to live in God's awesome house that's like a mansion forever. The point is presence with God. You're with me. You're with me. Now, if we were to take a big picture look at Psalm 23, you will see who's the primary like actor, who's the, the active agent in this. It's God. Because He makes me lie down. He leads me. He restores me. He is with me. He prepares me a table. He anoints my head. And because He is doing all of that, I shall not want, I shall not fear, and I shall dwell. I shall dwell with God. I will be with Him. He will be with me. Now as you enter like into December. This is like really important. You recognize He, 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 He. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me on paths of righteousness. He restores the sum total of my being, my nefesh. He is with me. He prepares a table. He anoints me. And because I have all of that, whatever is going on, I shall not lack. I shall not want. I shall not fear. Because He is with me. He is with me. Now take all of these thoughts about the shepherd, the good shepherd, how God was a shepherd all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, and take all of that with you to an event in John chapter 10 when Jesus of Nazareth says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. See, there was a wolf, and its jaws were focused on your neck. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy and he would have got you, but there was a good shepherd, and a good shepherd who loves his flock so much that he would lay down his life for the sheep of his pasture. Now, this is where Psalm 23 can become a Christmas psalm. Recall to mind the heartbeat of Psalm 23. What was the centerpiece? What was the the, the beating heart of Psalm 23? I will not fear because he is with me. God is with us. God is with us. Now, what is the heartbeat of the Christmas message? The incarnation. Listen to the words of the angel speaking to Joseph leading up to the Christmas event. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The heartbeat of Christmas is that God would come to dwell among his people. Emmanuel means God with us. And and in the psalmist, you, you, you hear the words that we shall not fear for God is with us. And if you want to know how close God became to us, he took up our human nature. And he is born as a baby, a child, in a manger. And we have Christ himself, God and man. And yes, he's named Jesus, but he's also named Emmanuel, God with us now a question out of that what does it mean that christ is your shepherd like what does it mean that that this child is also our shepherd well it means what psalm 23 was trying to get us to understand because god is with us i shall not want and i shall not fear i shall not lack i shall not want i shall not fear because he is with me that's a really important message coming into december because it's, it's pretty strange. Um, December should be, like just on paper, right? December should be the least stressful time of year, the most fun time of year. I mean, it's a holiday and people give each other like presents, there's like good food. It should technically on be, on paper be the least stressful time. But we know sort of statistically, the holidays, December, it's the worst time of year for many people. And there's stress and worries and doubts. So it's just this strange thing that's occurred. And part of that is because we're not thinking straight. We're, we're m- blowing things out of proportion. We're making small things big deal. But then on top of that, there's also real things to, to stress and worry about. You know, they, they, they might be coming to your mind right now. You, got, you know, there's, there's brokenness in the family. So every time the family gets together, we're, we set the stopwatch. When's it going to get crazy? You know, when's the arguing begin? And maybe there's, there's financial struggles and stresses in your mind. Or maybe, let's just be real, and the holidays we begin to reflect sometimes on our own mortality. You, may be, you might be up there in years and you're asking yourself like, I don't know how many more Christmases I have left. How many more Christmases do I have with my kids, with my grandkids, with my great-grandkids? Or you might be younger but you're looking at grandfather or your dad or your mom and saying, I... I don't know how many Christmases I have left with this person. And, and for some of us, there's, there's broken relationships, the pains of separation or divorce or loss, and all of that stuff is just magnified around the holidays. And so it builds and builds, and so you're walking around with this weight. And what you have to understand is the only way out of that is a Psalm 23 type of life. The sheep, they don't worry about what food is coming two weeks from today. They trust the shepherd day by day. The shepherd says, tomorrow has its own worries. Let's focus today. The sheep hear my voice. They listen. They follow. And I'm not going to, life's not going to be easy. There's going to be times of deep darkness, but trust me and follow. Trust me and follow. And so when kind of the stresses kind of pile up, you need to be able to say, like, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not fear. He is with me. When you're thinking about, man, is, is, this, is this mom's last Christmas with us? The Lord is my shepherd. He is faithful. He is good to me. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I will not fear. He is with me. Or maybe it's even you and you're going like, no, for the first time in my life, I see, I see the end. I don't have many years left. And you know, even if that death comes, if death is at your door and you're on your deathbed and you see the deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not fear. He is with me. And in those moments, when it goes into the deep darkness, He says, take my hand. I'll go with you. And he walks with you. If you are in Christ, you will never have a day where you are separated from him. You will never be alone. You will never be abandoned. You will never, ever have a day without the good shepherd by your side. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not fear. He is with me. Again, this does not mean it will be easy, or that life is all good all the time. It's presupposing the deep darkness is real. It's presupposing the shadow of death. It has that built into the equation. Nevertheless, he's my shepherd. I shall not want, I shall not fear. He is with me. Okay, what I want you to do right now is bring to the front of your mind those weighty things, the things that are bringing you down the heavy stuff, the brokenness, the pain, death, loss, separate all of those things, they might be small, they might be huge, they might be insurmountable, whatever they may be, bring them to the front of your mind. And if everything is good for you right now, and you're like, man, I don't got any stress, your cup overflows, give him thanks. If your cup is overflowing, give him thanks. But bring the dark things, bring the shadows, bring them, bring them to the front of your mind right now. And in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And what we're going to do is we're going to read Psalm 23 together aloud. But we're going to read Psalm 23 aloud with all of that stuff in the front of our mind. So in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our doubt, in the midst of our stress, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our enemies, we are going to read Psalm 23 and speak the truth of the Good Shepherd over ourselves and each other. Let's stand. So call to mind... And you know, they shouldn't be hard. You don't have to think hard to to know what they are. But what are the heavy, the weighty things? Things that cause fear fear in you. No matter what they may be, even if they're the salmawet, the deep darkness, the deep shadows, Christ is with you. So read with me, Psalm chapter 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the promises of God that he makes to you will always be fulfilled because he always comes through. He doesn't promise you a perfect life, a life with no problems. Again, Psalm 23 presupposes it, but he will be with you. How did God accomplish all of this for you? We are given a cup that overflows, but he is the one who cried out, I thirst. We get the green pastures, but he got the cross. We were given a table in the presence of our enemies, and he was handed over unto his enemies. And as they hand him over, he goes into the Salmoet, the deep darkness, the darkness of dark. And he goes in it and comes out on the other side. And because of that, we can declare with confidence that we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You will never live a day without him by your side.